Ladies and gentlemen. Good evening. Are you ready? Okay, here we go. You're listening to the Deal Room Podcast. Join us as we bring you the inside scoop on business sales and acquisitions. Get across trends in the area and hear the industry's best recount their real life tips, traps, and experiences. Now, here's your host, Joanna Oki. Hi, it's Joanna Oki here and welcome back to the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. Now, in today's episode, we are speaking to Denise Hall, who is from Exclusive Business Sales Melbourne. Denise is here talking to us today all about the current market trends that she is seeing through Exclusive in Melbourne in their client space of clients who are in the SME space of up to about $10 million in in revenue. So we're talking to Denise today about these current market trends, about what they're seeing in terms of industries that are hot at the moment uh, in the market and industries that they're seeing really potentially struggling. We also talk a bit about the concept of business owners coming in at that point of exit and being disappointed by sale value. And we talk a little bit about what that means in terms of forward planning for business owners and how that potentially has changed over time. So buckle in, here we go. Let's talk to Denise. Denise, hello. Welcome along to the Deal Room podcast. Thank you very much for having me. Absolutely fabulous to have you on board, Denise. Okay, so um, today we're talking about current market trends and particularly Melbourne, uh, where you're based. Yeah. So maybe hit us with it. Denise, what are you seeing at the moment in the market? And and I guess I, I just want to clarify when we're talking about um, the market, we're talking here about uh, sort of businesses who are in the sub $10 million space. So we're talking about the SME market. Absolutely. So what are you seeing, Denise? Well, what we're seeing is that there seems to be, certainly retail is taking a hit. Yeah. That, that's, you know, there's no surprise there. And even other businesses that are coming to us, I guess part of my quest in life is for every business owner to have some sense of what their business is worth on the way through rather than just trying to find out at the end then when mm. they come to speak to us. Because unfortunately what's happened is is that when they do come and have an appraisal done around saleability and as tempting to do that in the short term, most of them are not liking the answer. Mm. And so the question then is, well, what, what can you do about it and what time do you have, right? Mm. Because typically... A business owner kind of got three reasons why they're looking to sell, generally speaking. One would be payday, you know, how much yeah. money do I get? One would be freedom and how important freedom is. And if health is a concern here, freedom's really, really important. Mm. And then the other part is legacy. Mm. Legacy around some businesses, does it matter if they continue? Maybe not so much where others have a you know deep history, they have a lot of clients they look after. It's important that they continue. And so to not contemplate understanding the value of this from a saleability point of view or leaving it to the end or leaving it to the point where you might be forced to sell doesn't allow you the time to possibly make differences in what that payday price might be. Mm. And look, of course, that's, you know, it's a thread that we talk about a lot here um, in the deal room. And I think, you know, probably all of us who are here in the industry completely 
understand the difference, but forget perhaps businesses who don't have everyday exposure to business sales and acquisitions like we do, you, you know, perhaps don't appreciate the massive difference that proper prep for sale makes to um, and in value and the regularity of speaking to people who have a different idea of what their business is worth to what the market is actually <laughs> tracking at at the at the moment. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And what I know is, is that there's a whole lot of opinion out there. And I can look up Dr. Google and get a whole different one again, right? Yep. And unless it can be based on some kind of market evidence, then it's guesstimate only at best, right? If you're starting to make life decisions following, you know, because you think the exit's going to look one way and it doesn't, what does plan B, you know, B, C and D look like, yeah. right? All of these is, because what I know for sure is exit is inevitable, full stop, mm. right? So the question then is how planned is that? Now we can roll with whatever you want to do, but if you then have commitments that you need to meet, even from a I need X amount of money from my business to be able to make commitments. You know, the market's not going to give you that because it feels sorry for you. The business, the, the P&L needs to stack up and support what the sale price is. And if it doesn't support the numbers that you need, then we've got work to do. Yeah. So then I guess coming back to that concept, if, if we're looking at, you talked both about the importance of having market evidence for pricing rather than mm. um, hope. Of pricing. Yeah. Um, and of course, today we're also talking about the topic of market trends. But where are you seeing is perhaps a big change or, or have there been big changes? Say, l- let's talk about the last 12 months and then, then let's go further, maybe the last five years, mm-hmm. changing conditions that have led to owners having the wrong perception of the value of their business because of these trends that are going yeah. on. What's going on that people may not know about? So most of the rules of thumb that once applied really are struggling to stand up. So when we say those those once rules of thumb, are you talking about that three times multiple type rule of thumb? Well, that, but but there's also certain industry rules of thumb. Okay. And so talk a little bit about that, like what's changed. Yeah. yeah. So, for example, we don't do a lot of retail, but what I do know is that, for example, a fruit shop that a large fruit shop type veg shop deli thing that we're looking at, at the moment, their standard valuation, if you like, or their standard kind of price point was 10 times weekly earnings, Mm. right? Now, when we look at it today, and I'm doing an appraisal on it, the P&L doesn't actually support that price point, Mm. right? So then it depends who's looking. If it's somebody from within the industry, they may also know the same rule of thumb and be okay to pay it, right? Because it's, they've grown up with it. They both sides understand where that's come from and why it's always been there. But if it's an external wanting to get into the industry, they'll base it on the P&L. They won't care about what the rule of thumb says. Mm. And so you're saying in that type of industry, we're moving away from what we used to see as a as an industry rule of thumb. As an industry rule of thumb, many of them, it's not that, it's not that they'll go away, but the P&L and the numbers still have to support it. It won't just be paid because that's what we've always done. Mm. And what's an example when you say, just so that we can step this out for our listeners, when you say, you know, the P&L has to still support it, like let's break that down. What does that mean to a business owner who's listening in here? Yeah, so really I've got two, when I'm 
doing an appraisal on a business to work out both saleability and indicative price range, I've actually only got two levers pretty much, you know, for the main. One lever is profitability and the other lever is what is called the multiple. Mm -hmm. Now, the profit lever are the financial and the P&L, the profit and loss, informs that profitability question, yeah? Mm -hmm. Then we're multiplying that by a multiple. Now, a multiple is in today's market ranges anywhere between one and three, maybe three and a half, Mm -hmm. whereas, for example, pre-GFC, you were looking at, maybe five. Mm. Right, so 10 years on. Sorry, I just want to stop just for the listener's benefit because in our our fruit shop scenario, we were talking about weekly multiples, but here we're talking about, of course, when you're talking about the 1.5 to 3, we're talking about annual. Annual. So I just want to step that out for our our listeners. Yeah, absolutely. When we're talking about annual figures, pre-GFC being five and now being three, I mean, that's a big difference, isn't it? Particularly if you're if you're down at the 1.5 end of the range rather than three but (laughs) yeah and this is the thing so certainly the market so so the thing about the GFC is good prices were being paid previously but still for good business right I mean if if you're not so good they're not you know buyers aren't silly either right but for good business there were good multiple or better multiples multiples being paid pre-GFC. Now, what's happened is 10 years on from GFC are the people who had even been thinking about selling then but realised after GFC that there is no way that they were going to get anywhere near the price that they would have liked. They've waited. Right. Right. Now, they can't wait any longer. Right. Especially if we're now 10 years on, the market hasn't bounced back to where it was before. Mm -hmm. Depending on industry, there are a few sexy industries, but most of them kind of as a standard that hasn't bounced nearly as high as what it was previously. So so what's an example then, like back to this trends um, idea then, what's an example of some industries that have bounced better than others then? Well, certainly. So when I talk about the profit and the multiple, yep. right, and then that gives us a, a, an indicative price range. Now that multiple, what sits in that multiple are all the more intangible things, you know, like age, location, client list, like all, all of the ones that are not directly related, I guess, to the PL. And this is where brand, the likes of brand and that sit as well, right? Now, what we know is that I will be given a really good story about how good the business is and the branding, you know, the branding would have value and and once upon a time maybe it would have done so. But I we then view the profit and loss as the scorecard of how well all of that has worked for you. Mm as a business owner, right? And so it's all very well to tell me about industry potential and the branding and, you know, my customers love it and a lot of them come back and all the rest of it. But if that's not reflective in the scorecard, i.e. the profit and loss, then there's a disconnect between the story and what can be proven. And and within that, though, are there industries at the moment that are hotter than others? And there are. And I guess what's hotter, what's hotter is where we've got, you know, more buyer interest. Absolutely. And so industries like that at the moment are definitely service-based. Yep. Service-based, online. Um, look, there is still definitely interest in manufacturing and wholesaling and so forth. Mm. Uh, there's just, I guess, less of them, which kind of dictates that to some extent. 
but you know, if the if it's still a good business and it's still making good money, mm. then there is interest in it. Mm. Yeah, but the ones that are of particular interest are, as I said, professional services, and within that, anything in the IT managed service provider type space, right? And medical centres. See what's going on with a lot of these type industries where there would be many loan or many smaller players. There's a whole lot of consolidation mm. going on. Yeah. And they're rolling up into bigger concerns. Mm. Now, part of that then is, so for, let's say from a managed service provider perspective, it's a bit like banks. It's a bit like phone, you know, where you've got your phone and so forth. It's kind of deemed to be hard to move. Mm. So if you're satisfied with your provider, you tend not to shift, mm. right? And every business owner now will have their own managed service provider, mm. right, and their host and all the rest of it, yeah? And so for a business within that industry, for them to grow, they either have to have really deep pockets from the marketing perspective and kind of go and steal other from others or they buy them, mm. right? And so there's, there is a level, certainly a level of interest in, in that aspect. Like if, if a managed service provider is available to, per, to be um, purchased, right, what they're buying is buying time around taking on their client list but also taking on their staff as well, right, the skill set, yeah. And medical centres are quite similar. We're dotted all around with individual service providers, you know, practitioners or smaller practices, right? But you see, you don't have, unlike pharmacy, you don't have to be a doctor to own a a medical practice. Mm. And there are a number of doctors now who just want a doctor. Mm. (laughs) You know, once upon a time, the way you made your money was to run your practice, Mm. right? Now, that's probably still the case. But especially if they've had a go at it or whatever and they just, you know, they, they just want a doctor. Mm. They just want to talk, you know, have good conversations with people that are unwell and, and help them. And they don't want the day-to-day hassle of the, the business operational component that has to go with running a practice, mm. yeah? Mm. And so then you've got consolidation going on there where you've got people that are coming in to buy practices and they'll run the business part enabling the doctors to do the doctor. Mm, yeah, okay. All right, and so, so that sort of leads me on to thinking about um, whether you see any particular areas where you have businesses coming in using uh, acquisition as a growth strategy. Is there any, I, I mean, how many buyers that um, come into exclusive sort of fit that category? Yeah, so, well, if I use the two that I just mentioned, for every business that we sell, put to, take to the market, let's say in the IT space, every business that we take to market, we would probably get upwards of 50 inquiries, like legitimate wow. inquiries, which is high. Yeah. And some of them have been way higher than that. Mm. Yeah. And even to the point where on one of them that I know of, we had six offers. Mm. Now that that's, you know, that's a lot. And then in the medical space as well, an ad goes out inundated with inquiry mm. straight up. Mm. Yeah. Because I guess it all they also know that if you come to exclusive and you're on you're on our database, for example, our buyer database, and we're running a database now of twenty thousand plus. Mm. So and that's around Australia from a buyer pool perspective. And and, and the thing about that is you can unsus- unsubscribe at any time. Mm-hmm. And that database is growing growing right so there's people there they want to buy there's money around then it's a question of us being able to find the stock for use of a better word to put in front of them because we know that especially in the ones where we know we've gone out to the market before and had really good response 
well, you know, there's only one buyer. Mm. So if I've had 50 inquiries, I've only had, you know, I've only got one buyer out mm. of that. Mm. Good place for the vendor to be in though, isn't it? Yep. <laughs> so just to that point though, which means then that sometimes we can tip higher on that multiple because you're in demand, yeah? But there are other, obviously, not so, industries not so interesting to the Bible. I'm glad you mentioned that because I was about to go there, Denise. The industries where there's not as much demand. So hit us with it. Retail, you've already talked about retail. Yeah, anything on the high street struggling, you know, cafe, food, Hospitality, yep, that's right. Hospitality, all that, you know, that's really hard. That's not necessarily, I guess, just about what's happening right now. I mean, that's been... Oh, that's been building. It's a tricky space just generally, isn't it? It's been building. I mean, we've got to the point, well, I've got to the point, I can't say that right across the board, but I've certainly got to the point now that unless it's a real kind of standout operation, mm. we can't help mm. them because our buyers will not will not look mm. at them. And, and I'm not one to just take them on so I can pay some kind of a fee to be able to stick them on a website and hope someone finds them. I mean, the point why someone engages us is to sell the business. You know, when they say they want to sell and they come and see us, I believe mm. them right? Mm. So that's what they come to see us. And and if I don't, you know, I'm becoming more selective about the type of businesses we'll take on now as well. In regard to, if we don't think that we are able to do the sale justice and actually find genuine inquiry, it's not helping either of us. So are are there areas, you know, let's sort of cast our mind back through the last sort of six months and maybe a year where where you've seen businesses come in that you thought would probably have been quite saleable but now in the current market just as as you hit the market suddenly have been a lot slower than you'd expected we're certainly seeing businesses that are not as attractive and so they're harder to move. Right. And, and and I guess, you know, that's couched in, you know, business that's not as attractive, you know, will always have been harder to move. Always. Yeah, no, always. But you're saying, well, current market, it's even harder. Yeah, anything in that retail, honestly, anything in that retail space, public-facing kind of space. But if they've been able to move online or have an online presence as well. Now, you can't do that with cafe food, right? Well, mm. necessarily. You can if you're wholesale, I guess, depending on what you're doing. But have to be um, a bit innovative. <laughs> Let's well, say. Well, see, this is the thing. something that's online. <laughs> well, you know, and this is the thing. So re- realistically, for a business to, to be seen to be really attractive would be running both an online market and an offline market. Now, they're actually two completely different business models. Mm. You know, one isn't just a carbon copy of the other run on a different platform. They're actually different business models. And so to try and expect to see that as well within a one small business, yeah. you know, that, that's actually a little unfair, I think, especially yep. if you've only got the one or two kind of owners that are trying to drive all this at the same time. But therein lies the opportunity, right? From a yep. buyer's perspective, if I'm offline and I can purchase something from an on, that, that is online, that is complementary to what I do and bolt the two together, there's real value in that. But then again, yep. that, but that also then takes time to bring it in and merge it in and, and, and get it to the point where it's well and truly anchored so that it works. Yeah. Okay. All right. And um, I, I guess one of my last couple of questions, distress sales, are you seeing any sort of uplift in that at the moment? Yes. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes, yeah. full well, stop. That's what I'm hearing every day. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, why, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's why I asked. <laughs> yeah, and, and what we're so the way we're trying to help support that, and some of the ones we see should actually be going down that path. Yeah. yeah. So where we're we're assisting in that is that we're working closely with liquidators and receivers mm. because, for example, they can access our twenty thousand plus buy pool. Mm. They can't do that on their own. They don't have. Mm. They don't have. They don't run those databases. Mm. And right? you know, a distressed sale um, more than any other sale. Even though every sale, almost every sale, is is all about speed. Although we had a new matter today, and I tell you what, for the first time in a long time, someone said to me, "You know what? Time isn't really an issue." No. At any point, that <laughs> it's is not a little no, good statement. I know, I know. <laughs> but a distress sale, it, it's more it, it, even more important than the average. Well, sale. It, it is, and so we 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 run what we call a three week program, right? Mm. But the point being is that we are there to assist them to get this business uh, receivers and liquidators to get the business out in front of as many people as possible in a really short time frame and then be able to generate inquiry, which will either work or it won't, yep. you know, one or the other. Okay, and I guess uh, my second last question yeah. to round up is um, what proportion would you say of sellers who come in to, um, to see you are surprised when they find out what the market value really is for their business? 90%. Yeah, isn't that interesting? Which is really hard because mm. if they've left it to the, like if we are the last person they come and speak to about this and they've always thought that the value of their business was a certain amount um, and then we do an appraisal on it and it's kind of nowhere near that. You know, I'm often got vendors in front of me in tears mm. and mm. which really upsets me because that conversation should not be happening now. Yeah. That should have been happening way earlier. Yeah. Especially if they have to, you know, they've got that need for speed is important to them, right? Mm. So, and the thing is, is because, like, even, even I will talk, dare I say, and I'm not throwing financial planners here under the bus at all, but every single financial planner I have spoken to in the last six to 12 months, and I've kind of made it a point of doing so, is where they've got small business owners. And they are genuinely putting together a, fi- a long-term financial plan for these small business owners. I ask them, where do you, where is it that you get the value of the business from, the value of that asset? And what's the answer? Either the owner or the accountant give me what they think it's worth. Mm. Now, seriously, like this is this is a financial plan. Right. Yeah, we have a lot of accountants who listen to us. So, so maybe you know, he, here's um, the opportunity, maybe to speak to the accountants and, and sort of give some sort of pointers as to obviously that's been a, a common issue that you've seen that maybe. And why is it? What? Why do you think that accountants maybe come up with a value that might be different to what you guys perceive the market is, or where the market then ends up? Which takes us back to where we were before, right? That this this notion of three times, yeah, mm. it's always kind of been bandied around, and it's been around since the fifties, is my understanding. Now that in and of itself is fine, but three times what? Mm. Right? We can do three times, but it has to be three times on. EBITDA, for example, yep. to all you accountants out there, it's not three times revenue. It's not mm. three times owner's income to a working owner. 
mm. not including their sal- like their salary has not been taken out like a PBITDA. So it's three times what, yeah? Mm. And so what's really important then is where you look for evidence. And so what's happening now is that how, how we can support accountants and financial planners is that we can provide them with the number that is market evidence-based. Now, it's still mm-hmm. indicative, but it's a whole lot closer to industry and timing and market reality than a commentary around three times. Yeah. And, you know, how often should businesses, you know, do you think update valuations? How, how often does the market change so much that the parameters uh, around which you know, the market is is coming up with a value for that particular industry, you know, really change. Yeah. So unless unless you kind of know that your industry shifted, right, mm. or, or you, you get a sense that, yeah, you get a sense that there's a shift going on. Look, I would have thought that every 18 months, 24 months would probably get a, an appraisal done. We'll do, we'll do an appraisal for you. There's certain information we get. We drop it in. We produce a 10-page report. And that appraisal is definitely around indicative price range in today's market. It's not a full-blown valuation. It's around saleability question, right? Now, part of that would be, yes, to know what your business is worth. But what a number of our clients are also doing is using that as a way to, okay, this is the number as at today. How do I shift the number, right? Mm -hmm. And using it as almost a, dare I say, coaching mechanism. And sometimes accountants are helping their clients then use this to do that. If they want a bigger payout, assuming the market stays the same, what do they then need to do from a growth and an expenses point of view to get that number closer to where they want it? And then that goes to how to increase revenue so so that you can actually plot out a mechanism, a way, a a plan. Uh, It could be seen as an exit plan, but it could also actually be seen as a growth plan as well, right? Mm -hmm. So they can work hand in hand. And so then to check that in, so what you could do with an appraisal is, is it's, it's it, again, it's kind of a version of a scorecard. Do it today. Okay, I like it, I don't like it. If I don't like it, okay, what do I need to do over the next six to 12 months to see a shift in that? And maybe it's a bit longer because sometimes some of the sales, the revenue work that you'll do does take time to flow through. I do get that. So maybe every two years, something like that. Mm. Brilliant. Okay. All right. Well, look, that has been very interesting. Thank you so much, Denise, for coming on to the show today. My pleasure. If any of our listeners want to get in touch with you or Exclusive Business Sales Melbourne, how do they go about doing that, Denise? So you can either contact me on um, 0406-000-714. You can email me. Now, the way Exclusive is spelt is X C but no doubt you'll have that in the, the credits as well. We will have that in our show note. Don't fear. <laughs> Perfect. Um, and find me on LinkedIn. I'm always on LinkedIn, so you can find me there as well. Fabulous. All right. Well, we'll put all of those links in our show notes and on our web page as well so that uh, if you're running along the beach, good on you, <laughs> or on your drive into or on the way back home from work, you, uh, you can just check on your phone later and find the links straight through to the perfect and exclusive business sales Melbourne. Thank you, Denise. Thanks so much for coming on to the show today. Thank you. 
Well, that's it for our episode of the Deal Room podcast for today with Denise Hall from Exclusive Business Sales. So just as a quick recap, if somehow you missed the last 20 minutes, (laughs) industries that are hot at the moment are service-based businesses, in particular, IT managed services, online businesses, manufacturing, wholesale, medical centers. So if you're in one of these industries, then be aware that these are a bit hotter than the average industry at the moment. On the flip side, some of the industries that are struggling a bit at the moment, retail and hospitality. And um, we also heard about distressed sales being something that has been on the rise as well. So hopefully the information that we covered today was useful to you. If you'd like to get more information about this topic or if you would like direct links to contact Denise Hall or Exclusive Business Sales, then just head to the show notes or over over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com. At that website, you will also be able to find details of how to contact our lawyers at Aspect Legal if you or your clients would like to discuss any legal aspects of sales or acquisitions. We work with clients both big and small and have different types of services depending on size and complexity. So don't hesitate to book an appointment if you want to find out how we can assist. And finally, if you enjoyed what you heard today, then I'd love it if you could possibly pop over to your favorite podcast player where you have been listening to this and leave us a review. It only takes a minute not too hard and we'd be ever so grateful. And of course, make sure you've hit that subscribe button. Well, thanks again for listening in. I'll see you next time or you'll hear me next time. I guess that's probably more appropriate. You've been listening to Joanna Oakey and the Deal Room Podcast, a podcast proudly brought to you by our commercial legal practice, Aspect Legal. See you next time. Have you heard of Aspect Legal's partner program? Our partner program is a free program that's open to brokers, corporate advisors, accountants, and any other advisors to businesses who are dealing with organizations that are leading into a sale or acquisition of businesses or shares. As part of our partner program, we offer free access to our legal hotline, which is a support line to our specialist lawyers. We also provide a pre-free sale legal review to buyers and sellers where we educate them about the process and timelines from a legal perspective. And the third element that forms part of this partner program is a match-up database that we run where effectively we're able to connect up accountants or brokers or corporate advisors with businesses who are looking to either sell or acquire. So if you're a partner of ours, you go straight into that partner database and where we can see opportunities to provide matchups, then we introduce you. And the final element of our partner program is ongoing education in the form of seminars, webinars and meetups. And that's something new that we're introducing into the partner program in early 2020. So if you're not a partner, then all you need to do to become a partner is just pop us an email at partners at aspectlegal.com. And just simply say in your subject column, I want to become a partner. It's as easy as that to get immediate access to our free legal hotline and all of those other resources. We look forward to having you on board as a partner. Ladies and gentlemen.
conclude this evening's entertainment. Thanks for listening to The Deal Room Podcast. To find out more about this episode and other episodes in the series, check out the show notes or head over to our website at thedealroompodcast.com.au. Thank you.